glory to God. What an amazing uh, day that we live in. What a great time that we live in. You know, as we were praying right there, uh, I got a testimony uh, text this week uh, from Brother David, the one helping everybody down here. And uh, I'm going to shorten his testimony. You can ask him, but um, he sent me a text and he said last Sunday uh, during the message, uh, his dad had been having some difficulty and struggle. Even his dad had been diagnosed with COVID pneumonia, uh, thought that he had a stroke. He was in the hospital. He was getting ready to leave the hospital. And when uh, he was getting re- ready to leave the hospital, he got very dizzy and numbness in his body. So they began to uh, do some tests and scans and found out that there was some damage uh, in his neck from uh, uh, 1996. Is that what you put? 1996 uh, damage to his neck. And so uh, had some other difficulties anyway. David had been ministering to him and uh, sharing the word with him. He watched last Sunday. Uh, and he was still in the hospital. He watched last Sunday. They had, they had prepped him for surgery on his neck. And uh, as we were praying, uh, called out that C5 vertebrae, and uh, he just received that. Am I doing good? Have I got it so far? All right. And uh, uh, by noon, he, he was being readied for surgery. By noon, he left the hospital. Healed and whole, and God's not only working on his body, but the other situations in his life, God's turning things around. Amen. I say that because, really, God is good, and we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And if God will do it for someone else, he'll do it for you. And so often we hear a testimony, and we're like, God, why them and not me? But never say, God, why them and not me? Say, God, if you do it for them, you'll do it for me. You're no respecter of persons. And we don't know the timing. We don't know that. But the enemy will try to get you to go, well, just not me, but them. No. The reason a testimony comes forth is not to say, look at us, and you can't get it, but to say, if God will do it for one, he'll do it for all. Amen? God is so good. Well, we started uh, a series a, a number of weeks ago that uh, really the church undeniable. And really, I believe uh, more than anything right now, God wants the church to really rise up and be an undeniable force in the earth. And really, the undeniability of who we are as the church comes from within us. It doesn't come outside of us. It comes from within us. And when the life and the undeniability of who we are as individual members of the body collectively comes together, and then we, the church, really have that undeniability that we are different, that we navigate the trouble of our life, the circumstances of our life, the situations of our life, the joys and the sorrows of our life. We navigate the difficulties that we have with our teenagers, the difficulties that come to us through addiction, through trouble, whatever. We begin to realize that we're not dealing with it simply mentally and emotionally. We're not dealing with it from the forces from the outside, but there's something in us as believers. There's something in us as the church that should be undeniable. It should be a force that rises up that we cannot deny. See, we have the choice that we can push that down. We can say, no, I'm going to live in my own intellect. I'm going to live in my own thinking. 
But at the times where we come to that place of saying, I don't know what to do. I I can't even figure this out. There should be and is in you a force, a wisdom, an understanding, a power, an anointing that is undeniably different than you would handle it in your emotions. We see the scripture. Read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 about these men and women it wasn't you know you, you look at them then go to the old testament pastor tasha last sunday night and the sunday a couple sundays before that went through that it's not that these people of faith you read and said by faith you know uh, uh, noah built an ark and we read over it too quick well by faith he believed god and boom there was an ark no you got to go back and read about noah and see the day that he lived in and the persecution that he was under and and the really the it had never rained before. So he's saying, it's going to rain, so I'm building this huge boat. And everybody's just, you know, bringing in their lawn chairs and, you know, CNN's there and everybody's there just going, look at this fool, Noah. But when they started loading up and when the storm started to come and the lightning started to crack and they shut that door, it was undeniable that Noah had something everybody else didn't have. Come on, when the storms of life hit, people might say, there's no storm coming. What are you preparing for that storm? Why are you going to church? Why are you fellowshipping with those people? Why are you laying aside that that addiction? Why are you quitting doing this and that? Why are you uh, praying about this and that? There's nothing going on. But listen, when the storms start to come and you're found in the cleft of the rock, When you're in the boat with Jesus, something undeniable happens. When the lightning starts cracking, there's something undeniable about the life that we live by faith in the Son of God. As we do that collectively as the church, it begins to show forth the goodness of God out and into our communities where you live, the people that you work with, that there's something that is going on. There's something, a way that you live from the inside out and not the outside in. It's not that the same thing doesn't happen to you. The same thing happens to me. We've all incurred tragedy. We've all incurred loss. Every single person here went through 2020. How we come through 2020 and 2021, how we come through it, and there's still joy, and there's still peace, and there's still strength, and there's still wisdom, and there's still knowledge, and there's still a boldness. There's still things that are happening for the better. We're not moving the same course as the world. We all go through the same thing. We all wake up in the morning. 24 hours, uh, we wake up the next morning. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But God says, I put something on the inside of you, my spirit that should mark you, my people, as undeniably mine. Undeniably mine. So we've talked about a few for the sake of time. You know, we have an undeniable leader. We have an undeniable word, right? We have undeniable freedom. Uh, uh, So we, we started last week talking about undeniable grace. Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to jump in here in in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God, verse 2, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised up together and made to sit together 
with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has amazing things for you yet to come and yet to walk in. And God created you. You are his workmanship. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit came in and began to fashion a work in you. He began to, as a sculptor, begins to chisel off uh, parts of a stone that he's found out, you know, wherever he goes, wherever he, he searches to find that perfect piece of marble, that per- perfect piece of granite. He begins to fashion and to form the image, the image that he sees rather than the rock, the lump of stone that we all see. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18, when it says that where the Spirit is Lord, there's liberty. That we behold with an unveiled face the glory of the Lord. And we are changed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next, even as by the Spirit of God. He's using the terminology right there. He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, he's changing you into that same image. You may look like everybody else. You may have rough edges, but he's beginning to chisel off. He's beginning to to, to break away the things that make you look like everybody else. He's breaking away the things that have been connected to your life that are weighing you down, that are causing you to not look like the image of God. And he's chiseling away things. And he's transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. The image. You know, we, we, we knew a lady who, who in marble uh, was a sculptor. And so, you know, we'd go up to marble, we'd see her every now and then, and she'd be working on a work. And, you know, when you get up there and she's like, I just found this perfect piece of marble. And, uh, you know, she had started to knock off a few places, but there's just, you know, where she had drilled and knocked that off. And it's really rough edges. But you'd go up there a couple months later, and all of a sudden you start to see one degree. You'd look down at the, the image that she was transforming that rock into, and you'd look at it, and you'd say, you know, at first you're like, man, I don't know how you're going to make that out of that. Come a couple months later, and all of a sudden, you start to see. It may just be one side of a form, you know, uh, of a head. But all of a sudden, you start to see, you know what? That's going to be a head. There's a shoulder right there. I can see it. You go back a few months later, and there's another degree of the image being revealed. If we'll stay with the sculptor, if we'll stay with the Holy Spirit, it may not look like, we may not see exactly right now what we are going to be. But as John says, we may not see it right now, but if we stick with him, we'll be changed. And what we do know by looking at his word, if you went up there, she's working on that sculptor, but she always had a picture right there. She'd say, looks like a rock. She'd say, but that's what it's going to look like. 
Then you come up there and say, still looks like a rock, but it looks a little bit more like that than it did the first time I saw it. Then you come back and you say, it looks a lot more like that than it does the rock. We yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ. John says it has not yet been revealed what it's all going to look like. But we do know this, that when we see him, we'll be like him. And so there's something about that, studying the word of God, getting into the grace of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to say, this is what I've created you to be. In the new birth, this is what I've created you to be, to study the gospels and see Jesus and see that image. It's in the Bible, but you look, and then you look in the mirror, and you're like, man, this just looks like a rock. Then you look back and say, but you intend for it to look like that. But you stay with the grace of God and you stay with it. And then somebody comes up and says, man, you used to look like a rock, but something's happening. And you say, is it starting to look like this? They say, it still looks a little bit more like a rock, but I can see something happening. But then a year later, you know, they come back and they say, man, there's something different about you. Does it look like this? You know what? It's starting to look like that. We're being changed into the same image. What same image? The same image of Jesus that we observe in the mirror, the word of God. And we don't get discouraged because we're not there yet, but we yield and we're moving from one degree of glory to the next, even as by the spirit of God. You you know, when somebody just says, I think you're just a lump of stone, just say, you just don't see what God sees in me yet. And God's not finished. Well, you know what? Your family, and this is what you've done in your past. Say, that was just when I was a, a, a lump of stone. But right now, the sculptor, he picked me out. He chose me. And he laid out an image. And he's working on it right now. And I'm telling you, sometimes he hits you with that chisel. And you're like, I think you might have took off too much. You know, every now and then, the person who cuts your hair gets to talking more than cutting. And you wonder, I think you took off too much. And if we're not careful, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes, you're like, man, I think you took off too much. But then somebody observes the change, and they're like, man, that's just right. That's just right. Come on, we're being changed. Into something so undeniable. And it happens by this grace, and it's by grace that you're saved through faith. John said it like this in John chapter 1. This is the Passion Translation. He says, and now out of his fullness, speaking of Jesus, we are fulfilled. Out of his fullness, not the world's fullness, out of his fullness we are fulfilled. And from him we have received grace Heaped upon more grace. So it's by grace that you're saved. And Jesus came and said, of my fullness you'll receive and be fulfilled because I'm going to heap grace upon grace. I'm going to heap it. I'm not going to go, here's a little dabble, do you? I'm going to heap grace upon grace. If we're not careful, we've gotten to a point where we're not sure that we understand grace. We've looked at grace. And if we're not careful, we came to this place. I have to see if I can find it. Hang with me. If you don't get it up there, it's not their fault. It's my fault. I didn't give them any of this this morning, uh, which is my bad. In Jude, the first chapter, the fourth fourth verse. And I know I just introduced this last week, and I might not get very far today, but uh, Jude, there's only one chapter, the fourth verse. Listen to this. It says, there have been some who have sneaked in among you unnoticed. 
They are depraved people whose judgment was prophesied in Scripture a long time ago. They have perverted the message of God's grace into a license to commit immorality and turn against our only absolute master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, if you're not careful, you look at grace and you're like, grace is the excuse for me to stay sinning. Grace is my license to stay in sin and I don't even have to worry about it because grace covers it. But listen, when we look at it like that, we so devalue the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it doesn't matter if I make that mistake or not. Grace covers it. It's the wrong way to look at it. So when I make that mistake to come to God and say, God, I made that mistake, please forgive me. And grace will empower you to not do it again. He said, we come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to obtain that forgiveness, to obtain what we don't deserve so we can find grace, right, to give us that power to help us in our time of need. Come on, grace is what helps us in our time of need. Grace isn't glossing over mistakes. Mercy forgives you, and grace empowers you in a time of need. And so when we look at it, if we begin to, to understand it a little bit, that, that by grace we're saved. As we said last week in Romans chapter 5, it says, we stand in this grace. The Bible says there's an abundance of this grace, no shortage. Oh my goodness, I think there's a grace shortage. No shortage. There's an abundance of this grace. It's by this grace of God that we operate in giftings beyond our ability. Right? Paul said that in Romans 12. He said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. He said, now listen, when you understand there's a gift in you, use it by the grace because the gift is there by the grace of God. Not by your ability, not by your natural talents, but your giftings are there by the grace of God. So if our operation in the kingdom of God beyond our own ability is by grace, then grace would be very important. The Bible says that we're supposed to impart grace to the people who hear us. We're supposed to impart grace. So listen, if all these things are true, and many more are, we're saved by grace, we're standing in grace, we're to impart grace to the hearer. There's an abundance of grace for us to operate in giftings beyond our natural talents. It's only by grace. Then we should really be interested in this grace. We shouldn't say, well, grace just covers my sin, my mistakes, so it doesn't matter. We should be saying, what is it about this grace? What is it about this grace? Well, I know what it is about that grace. I couldn't earn it, and so God just did it for me. There's so much more than that to this grace. And then if we look at the other side of it, that we can actually just have this grace, this empowerment, this favor, this influence, and that we could be standing right in the middle of it and set it aside. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself 
for me. Therefore, I do not set aside the grace of God and go back to the law or go back to works. So he, he says, you could just set the grace of God aside. So many people have just set the grace of God aside. It's by grace that you were saved, but then they set it aside. The Bible says you could fall from grace. And I'm just living in grace. And he says, how do you fall from grace? Again, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, you're living in the grace of God. You know the grace of God. And then all of a sudden, you go back to trying to achieve it yourself. You go back to trying to earn it, to make it happen all in your own ability. He says, you fall away from the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says it's, it's possible to insult the spirit of grace. Come on now, if the grace of God that we're standing in empowers us, if the grace of God uh, saves our life from eternal destruction, if the grace of God causes us to, to have something to impart to others through a gifting in our life, why would we want to insult the spirit of grace? He said, listen, if you, if you come to the point of saying, listen, I, I can't do this. Uh, I know Jesus died for me, but I just can't do this. I'm going to keep sinning. He said, you insult the spirit of grace. You insult the spirit of grace. You know, it'd be like this that, you know, if Jonathan, you know, said, you know, there's this, this thing I have to do. And I just don't have enough resources to take care of it. I, I just don't have enough to do that. And I said, listen, uh, you know, you haven't done everything that you need to do, but I see this. And, and man, it's all in my heart. I know what God's called you to do. I'm going to resource you to do that. He's like, thank you, man. I'll receive those resources. He receives those resources, gets an account for those resources. And a year later, I'm like, how's it, go how's it going with you? And he's like, you know, I just put that in the bank and I'm just living the same way I used to live and I didn't really think I had enough to do it. And I'm like, we gave you the resources. Yeah, but it was too hard. You think that's a little bit insulting? Yeah. To me, who resourced him to do something, and then he said, I can't do it. I don't have enough. See, the grace of God has banked everything that you need to overcome. But when we say we can't do it, we don't have enough, it insults what the spirit of grace has done for us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, you can fall short of the grace of God. Fall short of the grace of God. You can get offended and get in offense with others. You can take offense and fall short of the grace of God. How do you fall short of the grace of God? Because when people offend you and you say, I can't forgive them, absolutely right, you can't. But that's when you embrace grace. And by grace, you can it's just falling short of embracing what you need to get over the top. Come on, if these things are ours and they abound, we need to really be looking into it and realize that there's this undeniable grace. And this grace is not weak. This grace is so incredibly powerful. 
I think through the church world, we've just sang songs like Amazing Grace, and we know it's amazing, but we start singing, we start talking about grace, and you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for for it. Grace covers it. That all of a sudden, we brought grace down to this level of like, who cares? But God cares. And grace is so amazing. It's so undeniably powerful that if we begin to learn of it and walk in it, we'll walk in the power and the benefit and the purity of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Not by what we can figure out or what we can do, but by the amazing grace of God. Second Peter tells us this. Second Peter says that through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and really he starts off and he says, I pray that grace and peace would be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Of Jesus our Lord. Of, who his, own, of his own will, he provided for us everything. Let me say everything. He provided for us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. He provides everything that we have need of. And the Bible really tells us that he provides all that through grace. One minister said this, grace makes it available, faith makes it possible, and faith works by the love of God. See, there's a process in accessing everything that God has for us, but what we need to understand is God has provided everything that you and I need. Everything that we need to live above the fray, to live above the situations of life, to navigate the tragedies, to navigate the downturns, to navigate the storms, to be a solid rock, to have a house that doesn't blow apart in the storm is already provided for us by the grace of God. But we access it by faith, believing for it. We just sang that song, right? He can move the immovable. He can do the impossible. But we have to believe for it. And how do we believe for it? How am I going to believe for that? How am I going to believe God for that? He said, faith worketh by love. It's not your, your, your ability to do things. It's the love relationship that we have with God and knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this grace is provided to live an everlasting, overflow, abundant life. It says when we enter into a loving relationship with him and know how much he loved us and that if he gave Jesus to die for our sin, how would he not with him freely give us all things? Now all of a sudden we know the love of God. And when we know the love of God, it doesn't make it hard to believe him for it. So well, listen, I was believing God for something I wanted and he didn't do it. Well, he's not the cashier at the store. Well, I came to buy this and they didn't have it at the store. No, he's your heavenly father. You don't just come up and say, I'd like this. I'd like to buy this right now. Because then you get into the place of, I'd like to buy this. He says, how are you, you going to buy that? Well, I've been pretty good. I've been going to church. I'm praying. And see, all of a sudden, we're over to works, and we don't even know it. We're praying, and we're saying, man, I love you. God, thank you for doing everything you've done. I'm so thankful that you forgave me of my sin. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the leading of the Spirit of God. I love you so much. We enter into praise and worship and glorify him. And that starts to stir in our hearts. And he says, you know what? This is what I want you to do. And this is what, what I've resourced for that, that I want you to do. You're like, I believe it. Come on, I believe it. 
And maybe 25 years down the line, you're like, man, where is that thing? But just like Abraham, God said, you'll have a son. 25 years later, that son wasn't there. But he avoided becoming weak in faith. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, he avoided becoming weak in faith because he glorified God. How did he glorify God? He praised him and said, I know that you are able to perform that which you promised. And so he kept his faith strong. Why? To access the grace. What was the grace? He couldn't produce a son. In his own ability, him and Sarah could not produce a son. But by God's grace, God's empowerment, and God's own ability and favor, there was a son of promise. Come on, there's a son of promise in your life. And you're like, where is it and why hasn't it happened yet? Don't get to that point. Strengthen yourself in faith, knowing that if God promised that he's well able to perform it and encourage yourself and magnify God, declaring he's well able to perform it. And by grace, you're tapping in to that grace by faith. And God is well able to bring it to pass. Come on. So grace is just an essential characteristic of who God is. And grace is that ability that causes us to live out that born-again life. Grace causes us to be born again, but that grace causes us to be able to live out that born-again life. So I have a question for you. I might have to finish up grace next week. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever gotten to the point? Don't be religious on me on this one. I don't, just, be, just be real. Don't be super spiritual. Don't think it's a bad confession. I release you from a bad confession of raising your hand. How many of you in the last you know, couple of years, maybe recently, just be, whether it's your job, whether it's your family, you know, this thought has entered into your mind. I just can't do it anymore. I'm not talking about leaving the earth. I'm just saying, ah, so frustrated. I just can't do this anymore. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Praise the Lord. I'll give you a little background and then we'll get to the scripture and we'll close. So if you know this, Paul was caught up into the third heavens. Man, he saw stuff. He said, I saw stuff. I mean, I, I was praying. I got caught up in the third heaven and I saw stuff I can't even talk to you about. He said, I, 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 I've seen some things. I've had some things revealed to me. The things he had revealed, he even, you know, later he said, listen, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I've seen heaven. For me to step off into heaven is something far better, but I'm staying here for you. So God showed him the revelation of grace and mercy. And so lest this revelation get out, lest the revelation spread to everyone of what Paul had seen and had revealed to him, Satan sent people to continually buffet him. You'll read it, it says, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. Right? How many of you have ever had people get in the way of what you know God promised you? So just understand this. I probably should clarify a little bit. Don't go calling them messengers of Satan. Because they don't know what they're doing. Even Jesus knew that. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. They don't know what they're doing. But 
The enemy has utilized them to buffet you, to discourage you, to make you think. You know, if you have teenagers that, 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 that are struggling in their life and walking with God, and you're like, ah, you know, and there's just people that come and dissuade your teenager. You're like, oh, God, stop them, stop them. And this is what Paul was doing. He's trying to get the message out, and he'd preach to a church the revelation of grace and not works. And somebody would come in behind that and say, don't listen to that apostle Paul. You know the scriptures. This is what you have to do. Send him back to law. And he got so frustrated that he wanted to quit. He said, I've petitioned three times at this thorn in my flesh. These people, anybody ever felt like a thorn in your flesh? It wasn't a sickness or it wasn't a disease. We can go back to Paul's knowledge of the children of Israel, and they would call a people group that was, that was always hindering them a thorn in their flesh, an irritation. You ever had a thorn in your flesh? A sliver? used to build houses and always get a sliver. And you'd love to get that thing out, but sometimes it's too deep and it just festers until finally you go deep to get it out. And he's like, I'm going deep with God to get this thorn out. And Jesus did something pretty amazing. Jesus spoke to him and said, I see your, your pain, Paul, and I'll be right there. I'll knock those people out. I'll wipe them off the face of the earth just for you. Just so you don't quit on me, I'll show you. I'll wipe them out. No, that's not what he said. See, that's how we think God's going to work. God's just going to wipe them out, get them out of the way. But Paul had a revelation. Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And we hear that and we're like, oh, God's favor is sufficient. It's, it's really, isn't that cool? But that's not the aspect of his grace that he's talking to Paul about. We'll get into this next week, but grace is unmerited favor. It's how we got saved. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God loved us. His favor came upon us through Jesus Christ and what we could not do, he did. But see, because of his favor, he did something with his ability that we could not do, and that was save us. And then when he saved us, he favored us, and he empowered by his own power, he saved us. Then he imparted to us his spirit to influence our life, a fullness of grace. But now he's had a revelation. He's had a divine influence upon his heart that is reflecting in his life. He's had a divine influence. He's had a revelation of heaven and the realities of grace and the mercy of God. And now it's influenced his life that it's reflecting out. He's preaching it. And the enemy's trying to stop it. And he said, man, I thought this was going to be easy. I thought you called me. I, you anointed me. You gifted me. I was just going to go take the world. And now he's not taking the world. In fact, it probably seems like the world's taking him. Sometimes we get excited and we're like, God, I prayed and I saw some stuff. And you go out, bam. You're like, well, you know, after a couple weeks, you're like, must not have been God. I quit. And that's not, that, that's not what we do. Whatever it is that causes you to go, you're like, I think I'm done. What Paul said is, what, what's going on? He didn't just say, my grace is sufficient. He, say, he explains grace. He said, for my strength, my strength, not your strength, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Come on, there's something powerful about grace, because when we get to that point, we keep making excuses about our weakness 
Even when God says, come and do this, we're like, God, I can't do this. We're like Moses. Like Moses, right, God says, I want you to go deliver the people. And Moses like, I can't, I stutter, I do all that stuff. And God says, I got this. If you get off of your weakness and you get on to my strength, I got this. I got this. So he said, my strength is more perfectly revealed, more completely revealed in the midst of your weakness. Because if you're talking about all your strengths, it's kind of like dusk when you turn your headlights on. Right? You turn the headlights on and you're wondering if they're on or they're not on because it's kind of dusk. When it's about your strength and you're like, God, just give me a little bit of your grace because I got a lot of strength, but add yours to mine. It's kind of like dust. But he says, listen, when you realize you're weak and you embrace my grace by faith, it's absolutely clear and complete that my grace is sufficient. My strength is perfected in your weakness. Now listen, you got to get this revelation so that on Wednesday when the enemy comes to buffet whatever you're doing and you're like, God, why is this happening? You hear his voice say, my grace is sufficient. And you don't go like, yeah, yeah, I know your grace is sufficient. Pastor Mark talked about that on Sunday. No, you stop for a moment and hear him say, my strength is about to be made perfect in your weakness. Because as soon as he saw that, listen to what he said. He said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, we're afraid to go like, yeah, that's my, not my forte, really. That's not really my area. People are like, come on, that's got to be your area. Look what you've done. Not my area. He said, why? Because I would rather than boast in myself, I'd rather have people see the power of Christ resting upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my weakness. That's what affirmity means. I take pleasure in my weakness, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. I'll work on you. Some of you take that home, put that on your fridge. Right? That one that says, I'm more than a conqueror, put that there, and then put and say, therefore, I take pleasure in my weakness, my reproaches, my needs, and my persecution. Why? Because they go together. The moment you take joy in all of that and rest upon his grace, that's when you become a more than a conqueror. That's when you triumph. For when I am weak, then by God's grace am I strong. I want to break this down just a little bit next week. didn't really plan on going into three Sundays. But I want to just encourage you in this, especially with the number of hands that went up. You get to the point, whether it's your marriage, I can't do this anymore. Struggling in your job, I can't do this anymore. Emotionally, you're thinking, I just can't, I can't deal with this anymore. That's what the grace, undeniable grace, is for. God knows you can't do it. Come on, God knows you can't do it in your own strength. That's why he provided grace. He said, you just need to know how much I love you so that you can believe me for it. And when you believe me for it, you access by faith the grace that you need, which is an empowerment beyond your own ability. 
It's an influence upon your heart that will begin to reflect out in your life to say, listen, I can glory in my weakness because there's an influence on the inside working to the outside. People wonder, how can you be rejoicing right now? It seems like you're getting crushed. And you say, I might look like I'm getting crushed right now, but something from the inside is about to raise me out of the dust of this rubble. And I won't end up under it. I'll end up on top of it. Well, how do you think that's going to happen? Because I glory in the grace of God. And I know that in my weakness, the power of Christ rests upon me. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you, God. We glorify you. We worship you. Thank you for this great grace that you have bestowed upon us. Your favor and your love.